Hey everybody, welcome to the Brain Trust Podcast. My name is Adam Vass and I'm a tabletop game designer in Glendale, California. My name's Willie Epps. I'm a tabletop game designer in Boston, Massachusetts, America. Adam, what's up? Just uh, gaming in the free world. Um, <laughs> we out here gaming in the free world. <laughs> uh, just another week where time's passed. Um... <laughs> one week in the future from the last time we did this and uh i don't know that anything's changed have you noticed that it feels like now that we're doing weekly episodes that like just time scaling seems to be weird i mean we did start doing it in the middle of quarantine so that might be it but like yeah the week between episodes feels very fast like we just did this but um at the same time there's just like a a different yeah a time scale is off like we've been weekly for maybe a month it feels like it feels like a long time this the time that we've been doing it feels like forever but the time between doings feels very short (laughs) did you see the uh brain trust bingo on the discord (laughs) (laughs) yeah i should have saved it so that i could try to get all of them in one app kind of have it in the back of my head like what the things are um and i think we should explicitly try not to i don't have it in front of me either so if we do it you know it's very organic and not like we're thinking about it right now (laughs) i almost watched frozen 2 this weekend to just like brush up (laughs) fucker (laughs) (laughs) i um i have been watching wild west movies uh westerns you might call them and uh last night i watched uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance, and I'm gonna tell you about two little bits of slang that they're trying to get in that movie, trying to get people to say. Um, Liberty Valance, who plays this badass f- guy who wears a little cute vest, which is very funny because he's a very dangerous killer that wears a very cute little small <laughs> vest. He calls people dude, um, and he's like, he beats the fucking shit out of Jimmy Stewart in the first scene of the movie. Like, he really just... I've never seen Jimmy Stewart really take a punch to the jaw that sent him on the ground, but hey, this movie's got it. Um, <laughs> oh, the yeah, one thing my roommate and I were doing while watching Jimmy Stewart get beat up was doing an impression of Jimmy Stewart going, I, I, I want you to kick my ass. Naturally. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I was thinking you could kick my ass. So... <laughs> Uh, but the thing that Liberty Valance said, he's like, I'm going to find out what kind of man you are, dude. <laughs> Using, like, dude in a whole new breath. Um, anyway, the other thing is that uh, uh, John Wayne is in it, and he calls everybody pilgrim. Um, I remember that. That's, like, a weird, like, zeitgeist thing. Like, I feel like if you do a John Wayne impression, you call somebody pilgrim. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hello there, pilgrim. And if yeah, you do a Jimmy Stewart... Like impression then you flail around some for some reason i i I, want you to kick me in the ass (laughs) yeah um yeah jimmy stewart i will kick you in the fucking ass let's go (laughs) he's he like comes to not just to talk about a movie that's like fucking a billion years old but like um he uh it plays a lawyer who goes to a wild west town and is surprised when people kick his ass and don't really take his shit (laughs) it's so funny (laughs) um anyway you're a real tinderfoot adam vass bulgrim did you write down a list or you just recall all all the great i'm just recalling this is all from my mind cowboy grammar root tootin country grammar that's what that's what the song's about um wait what is that song nelly country grammar (laughs) nelly's breakout hit from when i was in sixth grade or something River Nelly. Um I I do. <laughs> he got the band-aid, right? Yeah, he was the band-aid guy. I remember listening I really to uh that. the top nine at nine on my radio in my bedroom in the evening, waiting for country grammar, the the radio edit. <laughs> <laughs> I used to listen to DC one oh one, DC's rock radio. Mine was B ninety six in Chicago. Uh, what was there like a famous host from it? Not that I remember. Um, we had Elliot in the morning. We had man <laughs> just man cow in the morning, but he wasn't on B ninety six. He was fuck? on the alt. I think he was on Q one hundred and one with the alt rock station. 
But Man Cow is yeah. definitely like, yeah, the, the personality on the airwaves. Do you want to take the beginning of the show again? Like it's a alt radio kind of. I'm only going to say no because it would require so much. You need to really uh, flex your editing chops and put in all kinds of gratuitous sounds <laughs> or else the point's not going to get across. Yeah, I recently checked up on Elliot in the morning, and he is, uh, I think he got black-pilled in between <laughs> when I listened to him when I lived in Maryland and when I moved to Boston. <laughs> you, that's just one of these episodes. We're getting to it. Trust us. <laughs> you gotta see, you gotta hang in there. <laughs> you got this far. I think that's part of the, the, uh, the quirk, the, the appeal of our show. It's like, we could just talk about games, but... Give us like 10 minutes to shoot the shit, and then we're going to get into the, the nitty gritty. I wonder if there are listeners who are just like, well, these two guys like to fuck around for like 15 minutes, but then they get some good ideas, so I'm just going to skip on ahead. I always think the best part is the first 15 minutes. It's very chaotic, almost always. Yeah. So I think there are two groups. There are two groups of brain trust listeners. The brain listeners that like... The design talk that's usually in the back, you know, 40, 30 minutes. And the trust listeners that like <laughs> uh, the first 15 minutes. <laughs> I definitely edit the first 15 minutes to be very fast and punchy because there is just moments where Adam and I will just stop talking and just consider the thing that we just said. Like, Elliot in the morning got black pilled in between <laughs> high school and college. And we just sat here for a second, like, hmm. I'm hmm. I'm often like trying to come up with a segue of like how can I get from morning shock rock radio to today's topic. It's, it's and there's impossible. there's no bridge there, so I'm just like I'll I'll bide my time. The the opportunity will arise. Will will figure something out. Did you <laughs> did your radio station? Uh, you said it was B B G what B ninety six was the pop station. B ninety six. Did it have like events over the summer? Was there like oh, a yeah. big event that it did? Oh. I think I might have talked about this on the show once. So I never went to a B96 event because they were just like, they were just pop things. And by the time I was old enough to go to any event, I wasn't interested in pop radio anymore. Um, Cause I was alternative. I'm kind of a music guy. So <laughs> I would listen to the Q101. <laughs> Drinking water, you <laughs> asshole. <laughs> oh shit. Uh, <laughs> oh, I got stuck in my lungs. <laughs> So let me share with you the one radio event that I went to, the Q101. I think it was just called the Christmas Bash. I don't think they even had, like, innovative na- names or The Q101 Christmas Bash. Um, it was a concert, and it was in Chicago. I think it was, like, at the Allstate Arena, which, for those in the area, realizes outside of Chicago. Um, <laughs> but... It was an arena show, and uh, it was a five-band bill. What time of year was it? Oh, you said Christmas. Christmas, Christmas time, but it, so it was early December because it was not like on Christmas. Um, first up, I think I was in eighth or ninth grade, um, so I would have been 13, maybe. First up on the bill, AFI, fresh off yes. of the hotness of Sing the Sorrow, kind of like peak goth while still retaining like the thing that made them super cool AFI. And that was one of the main reasons I wanted to go. Um, they did not disappoint in their 20 minute set or whatever. It was very short. Oh God. Next up dashboard confessional. Uh, Hello. This was also the era in which I had an emo sucks patch uh, safety pinned to my backpack, so I was not there for <laughs> dashboard. Um, in my memory, we like to he, play little jokes on ourselves like that. In my memory, he played a, a, alone. I don't remember him having a band, but it was a long time ago. I definitely don't. This, the dashboard set is probably the least memorable to me because about what I'm about to say. <laughs> Next up, a headliner in their own right, but playing third of, of five on this stacked bill is the funny number, 311. Yes! Uh, I saw 311 in concert. Down, down. 
Yeah. Um, that's that's fucking awesome. Three Eleven was huge on DC One Hundred and One, so I know every Three Eleven song. I remember uh, people in the crowd being arrested for having or selling or or using weed during that that <laughs> segment of the show. Are you having or using weed in there? <laughs> um, and at the time, I didn't. I had no idea what weed was. Um, yeah, it just smells funny. Just got a funny smell to it. Next up is also a very pivotal moment in my music history. Wait, they were arrested in the. They were just yeah, like taken out. They're just or people. Did cops and, come? And you know what's really funny too is um, we were in like a seated area. Like there were chairs at the show. Oh my god! Chairs at the three eleven show. <laughs> Uh, a, a lot. No of, wonder people were having or using weed. Most of the place was was seated, um, so you know that adds a whole another layer to this whole experience Jesus. because you can't like actually like do anything. Yeah, I um, can't rage. Or four of five. The hammock. Corn, the one Ooh. and only backwards R band. They're, they I remember it being very good. Of course. Um. I think got contact high. In t- <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only time somehow that I ever saw corn, corn um, was one of the first CDs I ever bought when I was in like fifth grade. Definitely uh, was a fan, and they did not disappoint. Fuck yeah! And then this one's a curveball, as if I mean they're all curveballs, but this one even still to me rings strange. Uh, the headliner of the of the evening was Jane's Addiction. Wow. Dave Navarro and the whole gang? Everybody was there. Perry, all of them. Oh, wow. And we didn't stay for the whole thing because none of the people I was with, which was my dad and it, one or two people from school, um, nobody really fucked with Jane's Addiction. And I still don't. I don't really get it. I kind of fuck with Jane's Addiction. I like the guy's voice. It's I, really funny. I do like the voice. Um, I don't know. Jane's! That was the only song I knew. And yeah, it's kind of wild in whatever year that was for Jane's Addiction to be headlining this radio rock thing. I think may- maybe they're a Chicago thing because Lollapalooza's in Chicago, mm. um, which might have made it more. I don't know. Didn't do anything for me, but that was my radio, uh, my radio festival attendance. It was awesome. Do you think like these big? bash like radio station bashes are gonna be kind of how big actual play groups like critical role will do <laughs> touring shows <laughs> uh, like you'd catch the highliners like yeah i'm gonna go see it's gonna start with the friends of the table game and then it's gonna be the neo scum game and then it's gonna be critical role honestly that's what it was like when i was at pax unplugged and it was oh like we got dice camera action coming up next and then it's just like a festival lineup Put it together of watching for... the same 12 people rotate and play the same game on the stage. <laughs> I mean, if that's your thing, that's great. I just think I think we should stop getting um, really coy about it and get full rock radio about these fucking <laughs> games. Like, we got Matthew Mercer, Critical Role. And then, oh, it's like in... um. In like UFC or whatever, when the two like a player and a DM will come up and size each other up and like get into a scrap they, while they, they're doing they the weigh in. in, and it's like how yeah. many spell slots you got. <laughs> God, players weighing in at the beginning of a game would be so cool. Like just like, like weighing in your character sheet, like what level? Yeah. What what's your strength modifier? Plus five. Oh shit. Oh. And then, yeah, you, you get, like, the rest of the table is, like, sitting on either side, and they're, like, scrapping and fighting with each other. It's a really good way also to, like, remember, remind how cool your character is to everyone and, like, make some cool PvP shit. I think that would be really cool for, like, a PvP game. Yeah, that and to just remind people of, like, some function of the game. Like, yeah, you know... We're here to play a game that has rules and, and like, is structured. And it's not just um, actors being, doing their thing, you know. And encourages, like, play to get really fucking wild and shit, like, when you are playing. Because you're going to want those moments during the weigh-in. Right. (laughs) And you just come in with all this energy, and then you just explode out of the gate. Um... I feel like quite a few of our friends would have valuable uh, input on how how to basically turn your fantasy game into wrestling. 
<laughs> I think every, literally everyone we know but us. <laughs> you know way more than me too. Yeah, I'm a fan. Anyway, yeah. So we should we should get you know what John Cena means to you. Um, <laughs> that's all I got. Don't please. I only know things about the Rock actually. No, we're good. Um, and and the milk thing, and the milk truck. Anyway, oh. I've seen that too. <laughs> but yeah, let's just get uh, let's get more rock radio about all these actual plays. I want you know I want bumpers. I want lots of morning zoo stuff. Um, I want to hear. Allison Chains during the beginning of your, your show. <laughs> oh, we didn't even talk about what the topic is. Well, we'll come back and and we'll, we're gonna make a game. It's a surprise. All right, we'll be back. Welcome back to the Brain Trust Podcast. I'm your morning DJ host, Will the Fuzz. We got Adam. What's uh, up, everybody? I think I was gonna give you a nickname. I was like, you, you should really give yourself a nickname. So let's let me come in really strong. Uh, I don't want to be Will the Fuzz anymore, so I'm gonna switch the the next one. Um. Uh. So okay. Welcome back to the Brain Trust Podcast. Pa 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 pa. I'm Will. Uh. Book guy. <laughs> What's up, everybody? This is Adam, the tornado, no last name, and I'm about to twist up your beep. Oh my! You can't say that on the air. Oh, you can't say that. Beep. Uh, I said it too. <laughs> this is a hard pivot. There's no easy way to get into making a game today. Uh, so this is uh, normally we um, normally we're serious, smart podcasts, all structured and nice, and really a paragon of podcasting. But today we're going to talk about making games about other games, games that you play while playing other games, kind of secondary experiences. Um, examples are like um, games like Tyler Crumrine's Guess Who Done It, which is based on Guess Who. Uh, that uses pre-existing parts of Guess Who, just one side, and is like a um, secondary experience. I don't know why I keep on saying secondary experience, but I think you all know what I mean. Other really what that like means. Uh, games like Starcrossed and Dread that use a Jenga tower as its core um, mechanic. Those are kind of the the benchmark games that that do this or um, kind of brought this to the zeitgeist. Yeah, and games like Nora Blake's A Dance, which is uh, played inside of a Halo 2 1v1 match with uh, beam swords. The beam sabers? No, what are they called? I don't Energy know. swords. Master Chiefs. Uh, shit, gamers. I'm sorry again. <laughs> I'm just going to apologize. I once more find myself apologizing to gamers. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, games that use other games and uh, how to either or mix up, remix, or just add extra levels onto games that we already play. And so you said you were already uh, thinking a little bit about this. Yeah. What so you got? Here, here, there's a, um, an interesting like precursor to the brainstorm, I think, which is um, generally if you're if you're gonna put the work into design or craft something like this, the game that you repurpose has to be, well, not doesn't have to be, but like generally you want to be somewhat ubiquitous, right? Cause like, I don't want to make a role-playing game where you need to own this like limited, hard to find out of press board game. Cause right, then yeah. the audience is going to be so small and that's cool. And that's like, it's an artsy like project in its own right. But generally it would have to be like a specific choice to do that. Like yeah. It's going to have to really work, you know, it shouldn't just be a frivolous thing. Like, yeah, you're going to need a copy of girl talk, a game from 1988 where you <laughs> do truth or dares. Uh, so I wanted to avoid that. And this audio is going to be bad for a second as I roll away from the mic and look, that's at, fine. Look once more at my game shelf. 
Um, so, one of the things that I was like, a lot of RPGs already use playing cards, and there are so many games that use playing cards, or like playing card games, that there's um, something in there that's palpable and usable and easy because like everyone would already have cards um i when i my game three day weekend that came out last month uh uses go fish as its randomizer so you're collecting cards uh over the course of it in different modes and then like playing go fish to uh act out the kind of like Mm. climax of of your story um I was thinking of something like that with a game that is notoriously not multiplayer friendly, though we all know and love Solitaire. Solitaire, the game of... (laughs) Dude, I love Solitaire. I have played... I used to play it on my calculator during math class. Yes. That was really great. Um, Definitely remember playing it on, like, my grandparents' computer as a child. (laughs) Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Every on the Windows one where you can change the card backs yeah. to spiders. And when when you win and they do the cool animation on the screen. Ah, uh, fireworks. Um so that was my gut because one most people have some kind of memory of having played Solitaire or know the rules. And two, because most if you're if you're in this world and you're listening to our show, you're deep enough that you you have a deck of cards in your house. No doubt. <laughs> you you you're a real head now. You've got cards. <laughs> so, um, then you then you break down. I watched this very. I couldn't tell if it was a joke or not. This video that someone shared in the Discord this week of how to play Donkey Kong sixty four, <laughs> and just like exploring the core loop of the game, and it's a night. It's a nightmare. Um, yeah, yeah. The Mario one's a little easier to understand, but basically, like Mario goes to to a level to get stars to unlock levels and then that kind of cycle repeats right so in solitaire you like direct you you bring cards down from the top i i wonder i bet there's like a a terms in solitaire that i don't know but like the deck at the top i was just about to say describing solitaires just it sounds like a unique challenge right now i mean (laughs) that sounds like a game how to describe yeah write the rules for solitaire um the deck where you draw from uh you bring cards down into your like plat- your tableau. That, so that's that's like one core action. There are also the hidden cards in your tableau that you want to reveal. And then there's this third action, which is taking cards from the tableau to like their throne in the top. And you have the, mm-hmm. fo- the each of the four thrones for the four uh, suits and, and the end goal being all of the cards being in thrones mm-hmm. in sequence. So you have effectively four core actions that you do during solitaire. Like these, this is your playbook, your solitaire playbook. Exactly. Like pull, pull down, move side to side, reveal a hidden thing, and then ascend to the throne. I guess those are the four, um, the four options that you have at any given moment. And so I think it's easy as each player of this role-playing game has a deck of cards and is playing solitaire and doing, or it could be a shared game of solitaire, almost like, a, like if we're in the same place and we're just like mm-hmm. rotating chairs. And so it's like your turn to be in the hot seat or whatever. So I actually, I actually like that just as its own thing, like collaborative solitaire where you just have the game state that was dealt to you. You get one turn and then the next person has to go anyway. Right. Yeah. And then just people like the thing I thought of was like an surgeon in an operating theater and lots of people watching someone do this thing. But those and people just too, the social pressure. Yeah. They, like popping in and, you know, it, to some extent, I mean like for that metaphor, the people watching surgery don't chime in. Yeah. Oh, you better move that one. That, that piece out of the way um, so you don't like offer help in the solitaire but so either it's um a shared deck which i like but i think works better in real life than digital or each person has their own and then you have yeah i'm thinking of of moves 
And I think you have to then prioritize the moves because certain actions, such as pulling down or moving side to side, are, are very common versus revealing cards, which is less common and finite, and then uh, ascending cards, which is probably the least common. But at the end, you do, you do that a lot of times in a row if you win. Mm. So, and then I also thought to look up, like, there are, there's a finite number of like solvable solitaire games and like impossible ones just on the shuffle. Right. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a good frame too. So what, what do you do then if you have four tasks that you do in solitaire and you want to codify them into like story action or, or things that you do as a player in a, in a role play? Yeah, I've got an idea. So if you take the end state of solitaire, which is every suit is matched up, it could be you're telling the reverse story of four kingdoms breaking apart and scattering to the wind. I so like, like that. You're basically as, uh... working, working backwards to like this peerage and, and harmonious like family. It could even be families, but these four groups, you know, that you're you're basically working backwards to how individual parts came together. Um, so the relationship between like, you know, because in the normal board, you're putting uh, opposite cards on each other, like different colored yeah, red, cards. Red and black have to be adjacent and you can't have two red cards touching. So that's interesting. And then so you're you're establishing the relationship of why they're together. But then you know that they're going to go back to their own suit, like their own family or or lineage or something like that. I like that. I wonder, too. Th- there then becomes a mode because I, in the like tableau area of solitaire, it just is red and black. It doesn't really matter. Um, oh yeah. But then when you ascend them, it does matter. So it could just be like uh, Romeo and Juliet, like families who are ha- have some conflict and then are forced to interact with one another in, in whatever harmonious ways before then again, like diverging or finding peace. I guess that sort of your end state can be dictated by whatever the, the game is, but yeah, exactly. Because like Horatio is going to act different than Mercutio, but you find out how they, you know, interact with each other. Don't ask me any more about Shakespeare though. Yeah. I, I was going to use their last names, but I only remember the Capulets. Montagues. Mm, there we go. There's there the power go. of the trust right there. <laughs> hey. Um, so there's something there. I don't know. We don't, maybe this one's not a home run, but uh, everyone playing solitaire, when you do X in solitaire, it has some effect in the story. I think the one that we're talking about. Oh, oh, oh wait, wait, wait. I, I got a cool idea. Yeah. So because it's two players. One, one player is mostly concerned with getting uh, all black cards ascended and the other's concerned with getting all red cards ascended and you're both playing back through time to figure out the relationships between and so you know because solitaire you are introduced to three new cards at a time when that when you're you're flipping over new cards you create their names or roles or you assign them or they're randomly rolled on whatever kind of table so you have this generative story of fighting families and each suit, or rather, each color has two suits with it. So those could be internal divisions there. So mm. you're you're telling this kind of like really messy. Um, I imagine royalty for some reason. I don't know why I keep on going to that, but I, I guess think cards I, kind of push you that way a lot of the time. Yeah, because the kings and, and just, queens and shit. It's just already hierarchical like that. Anyway, that's kind of a, what I what I see with that and there's not like a in character role playing but you were kind of uh abstract style creating a relationship map with a solitaire board yeah i dig that uh let's close that book what's next <laughs> done bam well bam uh next we take a break and come back yeah Thank you. 
What about a game that you use while playing a real-time strategy game? So that's interesting because when we were um, talking, I never considered the idea of using video games. And then when you mentioned that Halo game, I was like, oh, yeah. that, that's a whole nother level. Um, so what's an example? What, what are some real-time strategy games? Here's what I'm thinking. What would so like a um, Age of Empires or Starcraft or whatever? What about a game where you're playing inside an MMO or just a large multiplayer game where you and other players would be around people, other players of this game would be around other people just playing the straight up game? And how could you interact in that world or in that game space? Um, that the other players that are not playing also contribute elements to the game. Uh, right off the bat, I, I'm thinking that I can't believe I haven't seen or done or like any experience with like playing those games because there's there's such a like uh, min maxi generally. Uh, you, uh, I think video games just have different goals, and a lot of the time they are explicitly to win. Um, because I'm picturing the last game like that that I've played, and maybe the, really the only one, and it's not quite real-time strategy, but uh, is Destiny, where you have people that... I think Destiny already does a really great job of, like, I'm over here, and there's, like, a ship landing, and we're going to try to take out all the bad dudes on this ship before it, the timer runs out. Yeah. But yeah. but then... a player in destiny can just be like i'm riding my hollow bike i see that there's a ship over there i could join them but i'm kind of on my way somewhere um yeah that always felt really cool and nice and interesting but um the idea of communicating like when you when you play those games you're on uh, comms and being like oh there's a guy coming in on the left and if you do this we get loot or whatever like you're you're min-maxing the game I've never seen or or experienced someone like communicating in character and what a different experience that would be off the bat. Right. Yeah, that you that the game world is so attractive and deep that you can just just larp in it or whatever it is. Yeah, so, at that point how, it would be. Yeah. Cuz then I think you have some something built in and I'm kind of stuck on destiny cause I just don't have a lot of video game experience, but sure. No, that that's perfect. Yeah. I think the, I think it was called a raid, but basically like you go into a cave and it was kind of a maze and there's real big bad dudes. Yep. And, uh, I mean that right there is effectively like you're in a dungeon crawl and you have your five homies or whatever who are on comms, just role play it. And next time, <laughs> you know, like don't just try to win like explore it and like be in it. That's already going to be such an interesting play experience. And then I imagine because it's online and because you can't control other players, there will always be not necessarily dissonance, but like this unquantifiable factor of right. Game so events. a whole, a whole thing with destiny is that you are the guardians who can die over and over again. So that's what lets you go out into the world and do your uh, gun shit and get guns and shit and fuck shit up with the good guns. <laughs> and uh, so doing the raid, for example, so like take, you know, you do, uh, it's like a quote unquote campaign is like sitting down and playing a session of this game. So you go and do the over, the overworld activities like collecting shit, going and fighting mobs or whatever. And you are, that's kind of like your chill downtime, hang out, get to know the characters. You go play online and you're part of a team and you, maybe there's stuff quantified, like whoever gets the most kills gets to say this thing about the group that happens. Or, you know, whoever gets the most amount of assists or maybe things not tied to gameplay. So, you know, whoever, um, like has the highest light score or any, any element of the game, it, it gives you options for this para game um moments for interior with characters uh with the example of a raid or something if someone gets tied to you um who is not inside of your little like shard of of group you know like everyone who's playing the game game 
is in the shard and you know other players can get in they will represent like <laughs> like in super smash where there's the shadow versions of every character <laughs> like there's some kind of falseness with them and it's about figuring out you know what their deal is or you know, I, I think it's finding out what the questions and prompts and role-playing opportunities you're providing for the in-between times. So you still have the full fun and speed of the game. And you just will go to a place in, like, the shared hangout space and then, you know, work through your downtime activities that are, you know, in a zine or something. Yeah, that brings up a point that I th- I've wanted to extrapolate on uh, of being, like, uh, the the problem a lot of the time with building game around game is um, the interior game has rules and pacing and all that stuff already built into it. And so role playing is naturally going to slow that down in a pretty extreme way. So you need to make it interesting enough in whatever way that it, that the um, voluntary like, destruction of the core game or, or repurposing of the core game is still yeah. is still worth it and then it is worth the player's time but also like your time as a designer to say why did you use that framework instead of just making this a 2d6 game or something like that so pacing right, is exactly. something that's really interesting to play with especially to i think because a lot of the strategy stuff on my shelf is um i didn't really want i didn't have much interest in using here for the brainstorm um because the pacing is already tense like yeah my favorite game my favorite board game is scythe and it takes especially learning but even once you're well pretty well versed in it it's not an not an extremely fast game unless everyone has played like 20 times and knows all the ins and outs so when it's your turn, you're probably going to think about it for a couple minutes before you do an action. All the other people are watching you do that action. Like, there's a quite a bit of downtime. Oh, maybe oh, maybe I just stumbled on something. Um, there's what do you do during the downtime? Downtime is role play. Hey. It, downtime. So, hmm. Let's take a quick break. L- let's. I I didn't. Oh, wait, I might. This. I might be able to cap the destiny thing really quick because yeah, i had a yeah, couple yeah. ideas Hit and me. then we will take five and then yeah okay so uh you um depending on your uh those three activities of like overland travel pvp and doing raids whatever those stuff you uh you're able to unlock different like story beats of your expanding role-playing story so say like you know you go get the moon berries on the moon and you know you get enough of those or you you play for 15 minutes it's like okay we played for 15 minutes we can draw the next card of the things that we do because we're like this destiny cabal um and we'll have like oh so one of you turns out like you had to give your gun to someone else to you make a choice like in the beginning of gloomhaven like oh yeah i'm gonna give my gun to someone who needs it so they can do their thing so you have to play the whole next element of this like campaign whatever the you know the the one two three thing without something or with some additional gameplay uh what what's the right word constraints yeah yeah exactly that change your play and also in interact your decisions as a player of this metagame thing without you know i don't want people to fucking throw games of Destiny. yeah that's that the interesting suck. thing too is because it changes how you play the core game yeah i i kind of want the feeling of unlocking new little narrative parts and then making decisions as a group or the, cause it's like you were, you were saying it's all about the downtime. And so just really structuring the downtime with us, like, you know, you draw a story card and you roll these dice and then you I, I think then generate what the thing is. Works a lot better in a game that's less actiony than a destiny. Like the stuff that you were talking about, um, yeah. Starcraft and stuff. But since I haven't played any of those, I don't really have any, thing to go on there but they do feel innately more comfortable with because um in the opposite direction a game i played a lot of is overwatch but 
those game those matches are 15 minutes or less and there is no time for <laughs> yeah there's hecking none. around um yeah. but it would effectively be like designing a story mode for a game that either doesn't have one or it's not that that good like s- bolting on a story mode to an a uh, sh- shooter games maybe aren't it because they're so fast paced but i think destiny is the one you would be able to do it with yeah. because there's you can have this there's like shared areas non-violent areas and stuff like that so i don't know if, if that sounds cool to anybody i'll just write some of that and uh i don't know would be neat but uh you you had a cool idea regarding downtime so let's take a break uh. and run it back adam tornado and will <laughs> book guy <laughs> time on the brain trust podcast uh so this nugget that i stumbled upon in the rant that i was going on is so much of what i'm focusing on is when you do an action in a game it triggers this parallel action in role play but a lot of games specifically strategy game tabletop stuff um a lot of the time that you're spending in it you're not playing. You're not doing anything. You're kind of just watching and considering, maybe thinking, but some people don't even, some people don't do that. It's just like, wait for your turn. And I think those are moments that can really easily be filled with uh, something else, which would be mm-hmm. this role play integration. Gamifying um, the downtime. Downtime. And how other people's, because then on your turn in the core game, you still can take a minute, look at the board state, figure out your strategy, then make a move. And that's going to take a a couple minutes probably for for most people I know. Um, So I'm looking at my shelf and I'm thinking of what's the most ubiquitous example here that I can give. And I think, and I think we we all, it's not a theme I'm excited about, so I'll, I'll preface that. But uh, <laughs> Lords of Waterdeep is a game that I think a lot of people have or have played. It's a um, worker placement game, so I think a lot of yeah. worker placement games will fill in this um, example, or maybe we could use something else and it'll function similarly, because obviously Lords of Waterdeep is already D&D uh, adjacent. So... Mm. But mm-hmm. the, the core function for those who have not played or experienced it is you have a number of workers, um, which are little tokens in your zone. And then there are places on the board that you place those workers. Um, placing, the workers are like clerics or wizards or thieves or fighters. Yeah, specifically in this game they are. And I think there's good role play to that. But I, I almost like explicitly don't want to do a fantasy thing. And yeah. uh, so just like worker placement in general, if you place a worker in this spot, it means that other people can't. And then when you place a worker in that spot, you get to take a particular given action. So say like if you put a worker in the bank, you gain two coins. Or, you know, if you put a worker in the farm, you gain a wheat or whatever. Like um, a lot of these also integrate a lot of resource play and management and like uh, they could also effectively be different currencies if you had a certain theme that you were going for um so a lot of worker placement in general almost always if it's not your turn you have nothing to do except for at most consider oh uh jerry just took this worker spot i was going to take it so on my turn i have to pick a different spot Mm -hmm. um what instead can we do to say um, Jerry's putting a worker here, but what are Will and I doing in the time that, that Jerry's taking his turn? Yeah. Uh, my, my brain first goes to like, how can we communicate 
unobtrusively that adds a level of intrigue to the game. Like, does that mean we get a moment to, like, look at our phone and pull up the group chat that we're in and we can give, like, in particular game, like, add game detail or even setting detail or something like that to the action. And so when you're done with your turn, say you're on the other side of that, you open it up and look at someone describing narratively what that turn was or something like that. There's an interesting dynamic here too that I did not considering before in that a lot of the framework games that games are being built around are inherently competitive and a lot of storytelling stuff is inherently not. So I think... And it, it might make sense uh, to some degree to have those in line, whether you make the core game no longer competitive, you, you change it in some way so that it's strictly about story. I think there's something there, too, to like seeing the really well done subversions of play or like Starcrossed is col- collaborative and Jenga is kind of... Jenga's interesting. I think that's like such a good um, framework that to build games on because there's only one loser, and it's yeah. not like <laughs> everyone else is not even necessarily a winner. You just didn't lose. Um, so it's different than just like a board game, which explicitly has like rankings and winners and points and stuff. So I guess in in that um, Starcrossed or Dread style. Let's say, well, it kind of subverts what I was saying with the downtime thing. But I was going to say, maybe the game board, the game, you're, you're using strictly for role play, and you're not playing two games at the same time. And then mm-hmm. you have, I think worker placement is an excellent framework for storytelling where you abandon the core gameplay. Because you have a number of characters, which are represented by your, your tokens and meeples yep. and stuff. Yeah, You have mechanical... Um, consequence to performing certain actions. So again, like going to the bank to get money, um, that is an action represented on the board, but it's also such an easy and natural thing to extrapolate into story moments. Um, So if you want to follow the downtime thread, I'm down, but also I think there may be something more to just like taking a worker placement board you have a setting and you have a list of actions and you have kind of like a collection of characters and currencies to do stuff in. Um, it seems really not a, not too far a bridge to say we're not playing for points. These are our triggers for our story and we're just going to like live in this world for an hour. Right. Exactly. The thing, the thing I was thinking of was that you have an identical, but different rather not identical. Well, you just have a, a downtime board that you also place workers on, but it's for story beats like you were talking about. So you're playing the A game, which is, uh, you know, getting coins, putting my work on the shop and making them shine shoes until they get all the coins and oil. And while I'm doing that, you and Jerry, who we were talking about earlier, who we love playing games with, um, <laughs> is you both are, are taking turns and it's like a live game. So you're just taking live actions on this board developing stories and so it's such a way that the person that's not actively on it that's taking a turn in a game game a game gold um can game go in game prime can go and see everything that happened and can kind of uncover the story from that i don't know what that looks like but that's kind of what i would want it to be that you you kind of want to be playing both games at the same time you know um that's interesting. I like it. I'll, I like it too. I, I'm thinking of like theme setting stuff for that. Um, I imagine you saw us. Yeah. I wonder if like board Spoilers two for us out here. Um, I'm trying to think of another example. I think fringe has this. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I love fringe. Like you have a parallel world. Yeah, other Olivia. Yes. Places. <laughs> Everything's in amber. Fuck yeah. Don't <laughs> same, blow by this. I love French. <laughs> same places, same people. Something's different. And the I I don't know that they they don't like mechanically affect one another. They exist in parallel, but you have um 
yeah, like story happenings in one that don't happen in the other. Jerry right, went to so the work- bank in Prime World, but in uh, Other World, Will, Will and Adam are robbing the bank. Or, like, there's something else in this location that Jerry, that doesn't involve Jerry because Jerry's in Prime World. Yeah, or, like, the worker placement games are economic games, and so that's only, like, one depressing part of one's life. And so the non-Prime game, what you would call the the Bizarro game, involves the social lives of the workers. And so you are personalizing and personing these workers and what they do and creating giving personality to what is just a rote economic uh, game. I like that a lot. And I think it sort of betrays this idea that I have of while one person's taking a turn, they're absent from the other. Cause I would want to know, like I would take my fucking water deep turn and then I'd be like, okay, now you guys go like, let me watch, let me bear witness to <laughs> parallel world. Cause like, it's so much cooler and more interesting. Well, what if the effects of the bizarro world, if it gets to, if you you know reach the threshold where you fill out all the relationship points, a character falls in love or something, and then you take that meeple and you physically draw on it or paint it or provide a sticker, and so you have then created a new non-gameplay important frame for this one worker, and so you know that like, oh, that worker's name is actually. Uh, Luis and they do not fuck with the bank. They are going to go to the park and play with the pigeons every time that they can. And so you're, you're creating this like weird attachment to these characters. You're now characterizing all the tiny pieces of wood or plastic here. Here's some like next level beyond integration too. of what if there's a place like a uh, threshold between two boards okay my my worker from a beta world can transfer to prime world by doing some like thing in the right thing at the right place at the right time you're someone at that point you're a band- told me go ahead someone on twitter told me that i lived in beta world anyway keep on going <laughs> uh, keep on going sorry i think <laughs> you're abandoning a lot of the like uh core function of the of the of the alpha game of the game that you're using and i think that's fine because i don't think you care about the competitive nature of of the structured game by the time that you're playing with alternative world setting like you're here for a reason right yeah yeah so um i think it is interesting i think there there's a consequence or result resolution to having and gaining and losing points in core game that that is tied to story and not for i want to win this game of worker placement shit um so then the actions in other world i think you still maybe play game a to the best of your ability or to your like desired effect um but game b is really why you're here today and it then has effect like both the 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 um, influence of each game goes both ways instead of just like being parallel now they mess with one another yeah like based on what place you're in and the worker placement game determines some random element of b game and what you're doing in b game um has you like i said editing pieces or adding new weird areas or basically adding non-competitive intrigue stuff you know, I like this a lot. Having, as, having a worker placement game where you suddenly discover a sinkhole and you're like, uh, you could go to the sinkhole and get in there and see what's up. <laughs> like, yeah, there's a function in Lords of Waterdeep where you buy real estate, which again, I think we I want to abandon a lot of the economic like purpose of the game. <laughs> but Lords it, of Waterdeep is for landlords. <laughs> it's a game buying for landlords. When you buy a building, you then get this little tile and you place it on the map and then that's a new place that workers can go in game b which effectively is what we're designing and and like gets tacked onto whatever worker placement game a that you have and want to are into um we have like cards designed and they are 
maybe like even just prompts or fill in the blank kind of things of like, here's a location where X can happen. And then through playing both games, you have this effect on the world. That's really interesting uh, on, mm. on game B world. Cause then I think if portal, I think if portal is um, an option from turn one, most players will want to mess with it for fun. Yeah. And I think if the locations you have, again, like in a Lords of Waterdeep, you have the core locations, and then you have locations that are revealed through play. You have then just like regular city. It's going to control the pacing of the narrative in an interesting way where you reveal new locations that are in some way randomized or coded. So at the start, you can only do these certain things it's the exposition of your story and it through enough play, you can reveal portal and then portal is game changing and that's going to shift the story in a pretty extreme way. Yeah. And the cards can be vague enough or something that's like somewhere the, uh, the cards represent like, you know, a, as you say, a city has so many more places than just fucking wizard school or shoe shine area or the park. And so everything, all these cards that you're playing in between turns are creating the blocks and neighborhoods of the city. And once you, you know, hit like four occult houses, you, you know, create portal world and you can go in between and shit. And you actually play on those, the physical board you've made in a downtime. So maybe there's like a phase change halfway through the game. That's like, uh Oh, we're, we've got nuclear. We're playing two games right now. And yeah. So or I, the two games we are playing has have just been married into one. I I love parallel world game. I think that's actually a, a banger. But yeah, I think for simplicity, uh, as like I don't think we need to explore these far. But t- take Lords of Waterdeep and say here's the bank. And then you take a piece, a note card or a piece of paper or whatever. And instead of like gain two coins, you write on that piece of paper, um, like a scene prompt or like something to supplant the resource collection element of the game. And then you just mm. put it there and like you do that as setup. you redefine the placements. Then you do worker placement as usual and say like, I'm going to put one of my workers here. And so now we're going to act out a scene where uh it's it's in the financial district and we do some sort of like active uh protest in this area right like, exactly you have a scene prompt list effectively and then they are the worker spots so when you put a meeple on them somebody else can't use that spot in the same uh time frame or whatever but then you can like build a story out of that and then you don't have to have two boards it's a little bit more streamlined yeah um the other thing with that that I came up with is because Lords of Waterdeep is played in rounds where you expend all of your workers, then you get them all back and you do it eight times. Um, I was thinking of like a Groundhog Day or a looper where you're like having the same time. Like today is Wednesday. It's always Wednesday. And uh, you place your workers on these story things and you live out a whole Wednesday. Okay. And then okay. You and then collect do you just keep on, the, you keep on adding different scenes to those cards. So yeah, you keep changing the, the world, the locations, but then Wednesday starts over. And so like your characters all reset, but the places are, have these <laughs> like legacy aspects to them. Yeah. And then you, you're completely divesting the worker aspect. So it's just a person placement. Game. Yeah. 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 And so you just turn into like, you know, instead of going to the bank, we go to the cafe across the street and hang out and we watch, we know there's a protest going on. Cause that's one of the things we can do. And we know that a bank robbery is going to happen tonight. And we know that, you know, a, a marching band is going to come through so we can watch that too. It's like you, you get all of the, you basically build an entire whoa you build a whole day like it's a hundred tiny stories or moments in a whole day and that's what the worker placement game the the person placement game and it's it's citywide too so like yeah and in one day you won't experience all the things that can and do happen on that day but then you can live you live that day over 
it's just like this quantum day that, you know, maybe I'm going to go to the park today and figure out, maybe we don't know a lot about the park yet. So all of us are going to try going to the park for this round of worker placement. Did you see uh, Edge of Tomorrow? You fuck yeah, I did. I love that movie. It's a shockingly great movie, but maybe there's yeah. something there too where it's like we lived Wednesday morning and then we set off this thing at noon. So now we gotta, we're got we going to reset. It's 8 a.m. again. And then maybe next time we'll make it to like 4 in the afternoon. Like yeah, you're pushing further towards some sort of end state because I think I really like this. Uh, it's definitely it's a different game than the parallel world game but it uses a lot of the same function. You're, you're just like rotting the board game, which I love. You're like, maybe it's every time you a game el- thing happens. So like you put your little piece on the bank and then you get money and like, oops, th- the thing's over because you got something from the game. And so for <laughs> that, you can spend the money and just create a new option on the card. And then it's the next person's turn. And so sooner or later, you start going further and further into the day like, because, you know, people go to the bank in the morning. Someone's always going to the bank in the morning. So that's always something that someone is doing. But you are going f- further and further, like you say, until you are, you know, you hit midnight and then the game's over. Oh, that's, I mean, that's it. You start with worker placement and you subvert it until it's only people placement. Until yeah. you have enough functionality and agency outside of currency collection. That your game exists as not work. We have created the uh, apotheosis society inside of a board game. We have <laughs> now corrected for economic board games, failure of imagination for a world without work. I mean, I think we could make that even like not even be hard because because <laughs> yeah, uh, we we use Lords of Waterdeep because I think it's the most ubiquitous worker placement. But there's so many worker placement games and all it takes is a bunch of note cards and <laughs> and some tape and the game that you already have on your shelf maybe and like rock and roll rock and fucking roll and then you just created this whole living world around this uh depressing thing where you have to get money all the time yeah it kind of functions too as like a, a little bit of a world building setting building thing which is really interesting too because by the end you have this like non-capitalist pseudo-utopia of <laughs> of an area that you'll probably want to continue exploring in some form. So being able to extrapolate the geography that the board creates with the politics and ecology that you've created through your, through your like, overwriting, um, you could just easily transfer that to another story game if you want and then, like, continue to live in it or explore it. Yeah, and it doesn't all have to be extremely posy. It could be like the forest and nature reclaiming a city or like, you know, how protest and direct action changes the face of a city and what like a revolutionary society can look like and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, that's good. We should make that. Yeah, I think it's maybe like a stack of cards that you can print out and then like put the card over this location. You need to just I, upload I, I, the deck to Tabletop Simulator or whatever it is. And oh, yeah, that would be really nice, too, because then you don't even need to have the physical game that you're hacking. Yeah, and it just looks like the Dare cards, or the, yeah, the Dare stuff in uh, Guide to Casting Fitness and the Revolution, where you just write in what the new thing is, and it's got a space for the meeple. Yeah, that's really cool. We've gone and done it. That's the kind of shit that you come to expect from the Brain Trust podcast. We're going to start by talking about uh, the bill of fucking AFI, Dashboard Confessional, Corn 311, and Jane's Addiction. Cannot believe I remembered all of that. I, I got I, the order wrong. I can't forget that. No, I got the order right. I got the order right. You, you swapped 311 and Corn, but really, Damn a, any, any of those acts could have been in the top. <laughs> Well, that's another good episode. Did you like it? Maybe uh, say so. <laughs> yeah, Not you, Adam. I know you like. it. I did it. like it. <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew it. Uh, yeah, give us a review or something. I don't know. Should we just clear up a bunch of the, the board stuff for um, the bingo? Maybe we'll talk about bad graffiti, and you can say bazinga a couple times. If you think about it, the last game we made is kind of bad graffiti. 
Hey. You're you're spraying over the bad graffiti with your good graffiti. Ooh, yeah. We're we're writing toy on the graffiti. <laughs> we're basically writing toy on fucking bad worker placement games. Lords of Waterdeep is toy. It's toy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the episode title yeah that's great uh all right next week we're gonna f off my name's adam i'm at wc game co on twitter um my name is will i'm uh will.com um yeah uh brain emoji handshake emoji oh no wait i'm will the book man <laughs> I'm the tornado. Uh, you can find us on the radio at 69.3 a.m. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, but all the emojis. Goodbye. <laughs>